0: Welcome, everyone, to Westview Q&A, where we seek to respond to your questions, questions we've received through the week and questions we didn't get to on Sunday mornings during our time of Q&A. I'm your host, Ryan Siminick, and I am joined by, of course, Pastor Charlie Salomone. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today, Charlie? Good. Right on. We're going to jump right into the questions. Uh, I feel that we as a church are in another transitionary season. Governments are starting to use phrases like we need to learn to live with the virus and most COVID regulations have lifted. We never hit pause on being the church and we can see how God has been working in amazing ways all through the pandemic. My question to you is as we step into what feels like a new chapter, not yet out of the pandemic, but into what feels like a bit of a different season for our church, what are some of the things we've learned from this past season that we need to hold on to? And what are the things that we've perhaps lost sight of as a result of this challenging time that we need to be reminded of?
1: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, Like, this last season of COVID... Seems like, well, perhaps this is something we've learned. Like, everything's always changing. Like, Mm -hmm. there is not this, like, place where we can just kind of, like, settle into, like, ministry, settle into this, like, uh, ministry routine that we feel like now we're good to go. Um, If anything, we've learned is that we have to constantly be willing to... What's the word that we've used, like, all through this pandemic? Pivot. Pivot. We have to pivot. We have to be ready to pivot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why That just makes me think of Ross from Friends screaming pivot as they're
1: trying to move the couch up the stairs. That's just been, like, that's, like, our new, like, word. Like, the new word of Westview leadership is pivot. Pivot. Um, Yeah. So... Constantly pivoting. You know, one thing I'd say is that we've learned, this isn't a new lesson. Like, God has always been with us. Like, every new change, like, you know, a couple weeks before Christmas, it's like, there's a new lockdown coming or new rules. Like, we got to do something different. And it was like, all right, we're going to pivot on Christmas Eve. And and what did we do? I don't remember now where we were.
0: It's all a blur.
1: We did a drive through <laughs> again, didn't we?
0: Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. The week of. Yeah. Yep. We uh shifted to, to drive through and continue
1: the live stream. And it's, you know, praise God, it all went, it all went great. So, uh, yeah, but that was like, that came together so quick and we've just learned like the Lord is with us with having to pivot and yeah. make plans that are loose. And, uh, um, so perhaps one thing we've learned is that, uh, um, the plans that we make hold them loosely. Um, yeah. The principles we have in ministry, we hold them tightly, yeah. you know, but the plans, uh, how we how we carry mm. forth those principles, it's, it's changing because the world changes.
0: Yeah, so that's been I think that's been a part of our experience as a staff team as we've been navigating this season of pandemic. Um, I want to ask you about people who have been a part of Westview. I, I want to take us to the beginning of the pandemic. When everything shut down, it was going to be two weeks. That's what we thought it was going to be. And through this whole season, we've gone through many different shifts. We've we've pivoted as a church, as you were talking about. Uh, but for all of us, how has our view of the church shifted through this time? You know, from going to uh, church as we knew it two years ago, to being at home, to live streams, to... Sort of partially in person, then fully in person, drive-ins, all of these different things. How is our view of the church of the people of God not just the church gathering? How is that? How do you feel that that shifted, and perhaps how has it shifted in good ways, and how has it shifted in
1: in negative ways? Well, um, I don't know. For me personally, I don't feel like it's shifted. I mean, the family of God has been the family of God, and I've never yeah. seen it any different, perhaps one thing that might have changed is, uh, well, you know, we came, I came to Montreal to Westview in the middle of this, and I sometimes hear people will talk about like pre-COVID Westview, uh, like Mm -hmm. how many people, I suppose, were on a Sunday before COVID. It sounds like it's a lot more, isn't it? Uh, Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and... Some of those people are still part of Westview through, you know, the virtual gathering and such.
0: We've also seen some new people join us. Which and we've
1: definitely great. seen new people. But I guess what I'm getting at is I suspect that there is a significant or at least a substantial uh, amount of people who were in the habit of going to church on Sundays the pandemic hit, that habit stopped, there was no um, you know, virtual gathering or no virtual or Zoom meetings, no fellowship really whatsoever. And I fear that there, like I say, this perhaps substantial amount of people have decided, you know what, that works for me. Uh, people have basically said, I'm okay with church not being in my life. I, I fear, I mean, I, I I hope that's not the case, but I, I worry that um, there's a lot of people apparently that disappeared and who knows where they went. And I guess I'm going to say something. Um, I don't want to say that's a good thing, but it might be a telling thing, okay? Because the church is not about a Sunday service attendance. And I suspect that if your church life, if your church identity, if your Christian experience was all about and sadly limited to the Sunday morning attendance and that was taken from you, it's possible that you're like, well, that's really all this is for me. So I'm not going to do that. But if your Christian experience was about being part of the family of God, well, then when the Sunday service, you know, a large group was taken away, you joined into the other things because that was what the family was. So I guess all that to say is, I think, and I suspect this is more than just Westview, but I think COVID has had perhaps a little bit of a refining, pruning process in the church where those of us uh, who were not... Really, part of the family, but more just part of the the Sunday group. Uh, they f- they fell away, um, and and I hope they come back, but not come back now that we're open again. I hope they come back, but not just to be part of that Sunday service, but to really become part of the family, because that's that's really all that. I mean that that is what Christianity truly is, you know.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Could you unpack that a little bit further? You mentioned. Um, I think you mentioned the perspective that you know church is the Sunday gathering. Like that's that's one view, right? Um, that that we see pop up, and it's like that's what it is. It's this habitual coming to church, and that you know, um, at the risk of you know overly uh, essentializing this, but um, and then on the other side, you might have somebody go, well, the gathering's not important. What's important is that I live my life for Jesus day to day. And you can sort of see these two extremes kind of coming out. What sure. What would you say to both those people and their different, um, what I would say,
1: problematic views of the gathering? Well, um, the person who says living for Jesus day by day, that is what it's all about. I would say you are right. Hmm. But how does that not equate to then... <laughs> going to church on Sunday, yes, not as your first thing. I mean, living for Jesus day by day is what it's all about, but what else do you have going on Sunday morning where you're like, for me, I mean, I there are times, I'm sure there are times when it's like, for me personally, living for Jesus means I'm not going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to do something else. But if that's like a normal thing, if Sunday service isn't a priority, I'd probably say like, are you being honest with yourself when you say that, you know, living for Jesus is your thing? Uh,
0: yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of a manifestation of our hyper individualism in our culture. Of just like viewing the Christian walk as like just you and Jesus. And it's like, yeah, there's totally that that element of our of our walk, but we have been invited into covenant community. Like we are part of the family of God. Like this is this is a walk that we do together. And it's not something that can be lived alone. Yeah. Um, I think for for somebody struggling with that, a great scripture is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching.
1: Um, You want to get crazy for a moment? Let's okay. get crazy. <laughs> okay. The verse you just read is often like quoted in, in regards to like, hey, you should really prioritize, you know, being you know, coming to church, going to Bible studies and such. Do not neglect meeting together. You want to get crazy is read the next passage, the next verse right after that.
0: 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but a uh,
1: fearful expectation of judgment. Isn't that what it says?
0: And 27, or, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God.
1: And doesn't it say like uh, four if we keep on sinning? Depending on what translation you're looking at, it's like uh, uh do not neglect meeting together as it is the habit of some. Um I'm And then... For if we keep on sinning deliberately after coming to a knowledge of truth, there is no longer a sacrifice yes. for sins. That's so the English standard version. There's something going. crazy going on here, where it's mm. like a lot of times people will say, um, "Hey, do not neglect meeting together," as if it's like kind of just like one of those like, "Hey, this might be helpful. It'd be it'd be helpful for you to not neglect meeting together." But in the passage, it's connected with actually strain from salvation from life i mean don't get me wrong i'm not saying like you know skip church and you're going to go to hell like but there is something Hmm. that is intimately linked between strain from the family of god not prioritizing the family of god and going on to live a deliberately sinful life um there is a connection there Um, Which should be noted, you know?
0: It is a lot easier to be deceived when you're isolated. As yeah. well, Right. So it's like when you don't have the encouragement of your fellow believers who will, you know, when we stir up one another to love and good works um, and also calling us out when we start to, you know, a lot of times it's like people think I just need me in my Bible. Well, it's like, well, what is your interpretation of your Bible and how do you yeah, know that exactly. you're not reading it with a skewed perspective because you want it to say something I mean, without your brother and sister if, to go, uh,
1: uh, I don't know. Like <laughs> that idea, like I just need like me and my Bible and I don't need the church. Like anyone who says that is not reading their Bible.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like we, we, we are a reformed Protestant church, right. In terms of like, we, we, stem from that reformed tradition. Um, and it's like, we believe in sola scriptura. It's like, that's our authority. Um, but it's like, what, how, how do we interpret that? Right. And I think it's, um, you know, like Sola ecclesia. I don't know how you would say that, but it's this idea of like we we come together as a church community and, and we talk about it. We go, okay, well, what does this mean? You know, and we and and it's again, it's like it, it is a um, it's it's God has called us to walk this through as a community, not just individuals.
1: Yeah, this like is this is like so central to like the entire like New Testament message that the church is the family of God. The Christian life is not to be done in isolation. It's to be done as part of the family of God. It's like so remarkably like central. So this idea of living this kind of like, um, you know, separate Christian life, like I'm doing my Christian thing on my own, like is so it's, it's foreign and really unthinkable. To like the way that Christianity, you know, it, it would be unthinkable to the apostles that someone right. would do that. Right. Um, one thing, and we're straying here. We're getting into other stuff. But, but one thing you will sometimes also come across is like a concept of like, well, I I hang out with Christians. You know, I, I prioritize Christians in my life, but I'm not like part of like one church. You know, like that, that I think that's pretty common. And, um, perhaps that is also kind of like, uh, perhaps that is also like a, what's the word, an offspring or a fruit or a result of, you know, the, the Protestant Reformation where, you know, where, you know, they said like, you know, the institution of, the Roman Catholic Church is is not like being a member of that is not necessary for salvation, you know. And so from yeah. that came churches like like ours, where you know, Getting into the weeds here, but I'm gonna keep going. No, it's good. Okay, I love and it. it's like you got all, so you have all these churches now, and um, what's really in, in the. Um, in many Protestant churches, including, you know, I, I think this is probably the theology of much of Westview. I mean, I don't want to say that definitively. There might be some leaders that see it different, but um, yeah, there is we're no, such a mixed bag here. Th- we are. There is no <laughs> higher authority than the local church. Okay? Mm. That's the idea. Um, like, uh, you know, popes and bishops and such. Um, The way that I see the scriptures is there's no higher authority than the office of elder, the elder of the local church. And what I'm getting at is I think uh, a lot of like modern evangelical Christians kind of reject the authority of the local church, as in they reject Christianity as an institution, Mm. Like I, I, I'm, like I'm a Christian, and I, you know, I prioritize my Christian relationships, which is good. Um, but I'm not like a member of one church, and the problem with that is, I really think that God expects you to be, because the office of elder of the local church is a God ordained office, and you have passages. I think it's in like Hebrews where it's like, you know, submit to your leaders. Like, there's an idea that you have yeah. a leader, you know, because, what does it say, submit to your leader so that they can do their work uh, with joy and, you know, without grief because they have to give an account. Like, there's an idea Well, like, your pastor, um, pastors are, like, we should have this understanding of, like, who are the people that we're accountable to? Who are the people that, you know, according to Hebrews, like we'll we'll have to give an account for how we led them. Is that the people that, you know, the Christians that I just know in my daily life, the Christians that occasionally come to Westview or the Christians that have said, Hey, this is my church. Like I'm a member of this church And and I'm getting into all sorts of other stuff here, but let me just summarize all this. And perhaps with a little exhortation for anyone who's listening, it's really important for you to be a member of the local church. A member where you've basically said, Hey, I'm in, this is my church, count me in, you're my pastor, you know, these are my elders. Like, I think that's biblical and that's good. So, as much as we want to uh, stray from this idea of like, you know, things that happened at the Reformation, that I won't get into all that. The local church, the institution of the local church is part of like our, our modern culture. It's like we don't like institutions, you know, we're anti establishment. <laughs> right. So we're do our Christian and we're do our Christianity in like a lone, organic, you know, kind of like a freestyle sort of way. It's like just slow down, slow down. Perfect. I get what you're saying. We don't want to be overly institutional, overly, you know, organized. However, however, The institution of the local church is God-ordained, and Mm. as a Christian, there is an expectation that you're part of that institution. I know it's a scary word for postmodern, you know, millennials institution, but... You got to swallow it. (laughs) Yeah, I I think
0: it's because, I mean, we talked about this, I think, on the last podcast of this idea of freedom to do whatever we want and sort of that being really pervasive in our culture. So I think sometimes there's a fear of submitting to leadership or finding a leadership to submit to because then we're held accountable. But that's really important, and we can see the apostles holding people accountable in the letters, and um, it's it's a model that's been given to us in Scripture yeah. as submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like it's submitting to your leaders out of reverence for Christ, because He's put them in that position.
1: Oh yeah, we started a conversation on submission, all the ways that that applies, and yeah. the exceptions to submission. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm certainly not claiming like pastors have this like you know absolute sovereignty, and like you should do whatever you know your yeah. pastor says. Just that's not what i was saying and so um, we're, we'll save that conversation yeah for I, I, I think we should time, because you know. they're
0: because because pastors are also accountable and 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 need to submit in other ways as well uh, yeah. um, and 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 need to be accountable to their congregations uh, that actually really lines up well with another question I want to ask you because um, there are a lot of people that have, a, have had a really bad experience with the institutional church. Maybe they've experienced abuse from a pastor. Maybe they've um, seen abuses happen or heard of abuses happen, and they're, um, they're hesitant to join a congregation because they're afraid of that happening, um, or perhaps because they're angry about, mm-hmm. that, about that experience and, and, and no longer feel that the institutional church is a good thing. What, what would you say to people who are experiencing that?
1: Oh, man, someone who's been hurt by the institution of the church, and so they're not going down that road. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't want to give an answer that is, you know, Mm. Um, non-empathetic. I'm tempted to give an answer that might come across as (laughs) non-empathetic, and uh, let me go ahead and say what i'm tempted to say <clears throat> the bible doesn't give us any other options you mm-hmm. know um i i understand it's kind of like in marriage you know you get hurt by your spouse like that's going to happen but you know leaving isn't really an option i mean don't get me wrong there are times when it's appropriate <laughs> but <clears throat> just the fact that you know you've been hurt um, a lot of times in marriage, you know, we're hurt and we have to go back and and, and, and love anyways. Um, this is a huge part of the Christian life is loving people even uh, when you sometimes get hurt by them. I mean that's that's the way of Jesus, you know yeah. uh, um, Jesus was hurt by the church. you know Jesus was hurt by the disciples. Um, And just kept loving this. um, One of the things that I've called the church before, I didn't come up with this. I heard it somewhere. But the church is a covenant community. You know, like that idea of covenant love. Covenant love is the kind of love that says, I am here. I am in. Even when it hurts me, I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep being part of it. So I guess if you've been hurt by the church, if you're part of a church, that's going to happen. Okay, mm. it's gonna happen, um, and it, it it it's probably gonna happen again if you if you stay with the church long enough. Like people screw up. Um, sometimes people screw up really bad. Yeah. Um, but you being part of it and you sticking in there can can have that uh, redemptive ability to to work in that. You know, to speak yeah. into that, to work for restoration, to work for a better church. Um, so, um, I hope that's a good answer. I don't know. Well, I mean, I,
0: I want to circle back around and talk about the other side of this, but, uh, first I think we would be amiss to not acknowledge, uh, what just happened with the Pope finally giving an apology to those who experienced the abuses of the residential school systems. And, perhaps just bringing up the question of you know there are people who have been hurt by the church community and um, saying that may, you know maybe they need to stick it on their church community but then the, the, there are some pretty um, some pretty horrific abuses that we see in certain institutions historically or that happen now and how do we um, how do we also hold leaders and institutions accountable at the same okay. time
1: yeah yeah I'm glad you said that because I uh, you know it's too late to edit this podcast. No, okay. but I, I, you <laughs> it's too know, what, late I to go back I, I, and change my answer a little bit. I think that there are different.
0: <laughs> to be fair, though, the way that you're answering that there are people who have been burned by the church, like somebody yep. said something or something happened where there's been discord. Yeah, and then th- th- there are horrific abuses. And, right. And and, and okay. I, I I think you qualified your answer by saying like, correct me if I'm uh, quoting you wrong, but you said something about how like. It, we don't have the individual case. So like it's hard yeah, to yeah. get a broad answer, right?
1: So here's one thing. When it comes to like being part of a church, being part of a local church. Um, so this is not like in the Catholic understanding, the Roman Catholic understanding, it's like the church is the Roman Catholic Church. That is the church that you submit to, that is the church that you join. Right. Um in our way of seeing things, it's like you want to join a church where you feel like you can trust the leaders. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're going to see the leaders as perfect, but you want to join a church where you feel like the leaders, like they're people that, that love the Lord and are walking with God. And maybe that's your opinion of the Catholic Church. I'm not getting into that right now. But what I'm getting into is like I'm not saying like, hey – you have a church and you feel like the leaders are like totally like ignoring scripture and abusing people. I'm not saying like you definitely need to stay in that church for better or for worse, but you need to be part of a church. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you meet people where it's like, there's no church that's good enough. You know, you have your lone ranger Christians who have rejected the whole concept of the authority of the local church. And there's no church that is pure enough. And it's like, Maybe I've, like, encountered too many of those people, so uh, I'm maybe only speaking to one side. But on the other hand, yes. I mean, there are real abuses that happen in church, and you definitely— it's possible that God has called you to stay in one of those really toxic environments, to be an agent of prayer and redemption and and change, but it's possible that God's called you to just— separate from that and find a community where you feel like you can trust the leaders yeah 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 thanks
0: for that mm-hmm. I, think, I, I think that's really helpful and uh, if, if that has been your experience I mean it's so hard as we've already said to generalize cases so just talk talk to somebody come and talk to the team if, if that's been your experience and you're listening to this yep um, we'd love to walk with you through that um, another bonus for community is just being able to heal together and walk together through things like that yep so, I actually want to pick on the other side now and go people who are seeing their Christian experiences just the Sunday morning. I, I think we need to be fair here. Are they
1: listening though? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. We're okay, saying, you we'll know what it. I've done? I, I I went to church. That's it. And maybe that's also the perspective that's been going, oh, through the pandemic, I'm just going to check out until in-person opens up again and okay. I'll come back. You know, like, yep. again, not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying this is the other extreme that we see of saying like, okay, church is the Sunday morning. What would you say to that individual? That
1: church is the Sunday morning? And that's um, kind of it. Uh, I don't know where that... I mean, where would that idea come from? Uh, no, I, I never mind, never mind. It's fair where that idea would come from. I mean, that's that can easily actually just be absorbed from the culture. And especially people grow up <clears throat> in families where you don't talk about God, you know, you don't talk about Jesus, you don't pray together, but you go to church on Sunday. I think, sadly, I think that's common. And it's and if that's your upbringing, it's really easy to just absorb that. Where it's like we live our lives apart from God's word, really, just kind of that's like irrelevant to us. Um, but but going to church on Sunday, checking that box, is that's our Christian life. I I think if you've kind of um, inherited that or some other way fallen into that, I would say. I, I mean, read the Bible or hmm. or listen to what they're talking about at church, you know, when you go. I mean, hmm. I don't think you're going to, there's not too many churches that are going to be painting a picture where that's what, that's what this is, you know. Um, yeah, if you're listening, <laughs> if you're out there <laughs> listening. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what else to say.
0: No, that's good. That's good. So we'll move on to another
1: question now.
0: Um, This past Sunday, one of the scriptures Basil preached on was Luke 7, 44 to 48. This is a beautiful passage of a woman who literally poured out her love and devotion for Jesus because she really understood just how much she had been forgiven, how much she truly needed the grace of God. Someone on Sunday in the Q&A was just wonderfully transparent and asked, in, in the story, I could see her total love and dedication for Jesus. She didn't care what anyone else thought, and she just demonstrated it to him. Why don't we have that? Why is it so hard for me to have that? I want to make this an even broader question. Our justification is being made right with God, and our sanctification is being made holy, being made into the likeness of Christ. It's, it's the transformation that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit as we live as disciples of Jesus. Now, what would you say to people who are discouraged with the lack of progress they're seeing in their spiritual growth?
1: Mm. I'm thinking about it in connection with the, uh, the woman who weeped at Jesus' feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who is discouraged by their lack of growth. As a Christian, yeah, what would I say to them?
0: Yeah, it's like I want to be more like Jesus. I want to turn from sin. I want to have more love in my heart for God and my neighbor. Like, but I'm I'm just not seeing progress here. What What do I do? It's discouraging. What What, what would you say to someone experiencing that?
1: Well, um, let me first ask you to zoom out a little bit. Um, I suspect there's more progress than you might realize. Mm. Um, maybe you're looking at the last few days, weeks, months, but zoom out and consider your life a long time ago because I bet you're going to see a lot more progress because if that is your attitude, this attitude of, like, I wish I was more like Jesus, I wish I was more like Jesus, I wish was my life was transforming more, like that longing... I mean, that's that's the attitude, I think, of the Christian who is doing this right. <laughs> right. You know, that's the attitude of the Christian who is walking the walk. That's the attitude of the person whose life is going to be transformed. That's the woman yeah. who's crying at his feet. Um, I would, in contrast, be concerned for the person who is like, man, I am kicking butt at this Christianity thing. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm like just uh, rocking it. <laughs> and yeah.
0: way to go me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's like just the desire to be more Christ-like is evidence of the work of the san- the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and I bet there is transformation. And maybe in, in this moment, uh, however you're focusing, maybe yeah. you're not seeing it, but yeah. I, I suspect it's it's there.
0: Yeah, I would, I would say lean on the promises of God in those times too. Philippians one six says, Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's a fact. We can read it as a fact. Let's also read that as a promise, that even when we don't feel it, even when we don't um, see it happening, see it playing out, we, we trust that God is... Is going to bring about this work
1: within us. That's a good word. Yep. There's he so much. He will finish what he started. Yeah. And uh, don't put it upon your own shoulders. Like don't, hmm. don't, don't weep with tears and don't be really sad. Like how am I going to accomplish this? How am I gonna do this when that's exactly it? Like he started it. He will finish it rest in that rejoice in that yeah that's good and the enemy would have us
0: uh despair in those times you know of going to, how 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 am i supposed to live this life i'm 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 not seeing this progress here and 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 and, and what was that was it say in the hymn right when uh when Satan tempts me to despair right and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one who made an end to all my sin. It's just like, let this be a, let this propel you to prayer and just trusting in the promises of God Hmm. and uh, further seeking and desiring him. Yep. Hmm. That's good, that's good. Any other thoughts on that, or should we move on to the next question? No, that's good. All right. What else you got in your bag? Well, we have a few questions about forgiveness. I know we answered some of these on Sunday, but I I think it might be good to uh, just address it again because we've got three questions here. First one is, how can I forgive if one does not ask for, for my forgiveness? Second is, what should I do if I feel the apology does not seem to be sincere because the same offense keeps repeating? And the third one is, what can we do to get past the anger in order to forgive? So I just wanted to ask you all three of those and just say, is is there anything here that you'd like to unpack a little bit further? Okay,
1: how do we forgive? Person isn't asking for it. Uh, In scenario two, person is asking for it, but they've asked a bunch of times and they haven't changed. Yeah, they just keep doing it. scenario three is, I'm too angry. right. I, these are off these are awfully connected aren't they yeah that's right I was like I'm just gonna ask you all three because it's yeah. all connected here yeah you know? uh, we talked about this you know at the end of the service on Sunday but we'll go there again because this is just important stuff yeah I just felt since we have three questions maybe yeah. we should unpack it a little bit more in uh, so let's define what we mean when it when we talk about forgiveness because the fact that someone isn't asking for forgiveness, I don't think changes at all our ability to forgive because forgiveness is something that happens on our end, okay, mm-hmm. apart from them. It's about a heart that is not um, keeping that, that debt, holding on to that debt like you owe me. You've wronged me. You owe me, okay? Um, so whether that person apologizes, feels bad about it, doesn't feel bad about it, Like, I can say, you know what? I have been in debt before to the Lord. He forgave me, Mm -hmm. so I'm not allowed to hold debts. It's not right for me to hold a debt um, when I have been such a debtor that's been forgiven. Like, who am I to demand repayment when I have been, you know... Oh, what's that parable? Parable of the... Parable of the... (laughs) Uh, unforgiving servant. Is oh, that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy, the guy owes a ridiculous amount of money and he's forgiven. And then he goes and he beats the guy who, who owes him a lot less, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's it for us. Like we can't, we're the ones who has been forgiven so much by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Anything anyone has ever done to you, if you are like awakened to like your condition before the Lord in your in your flesh and your sinfulness, if you've been awakened to that, you know that you've sinned against God way worse than anything anyone's ever done to you, and and He forgave you. So for that reason, we forgive. Okay, it has yeah. nothing to do with whether that person is presenting themselves in a way that's worthy of forgiveness. It's about us and our heart before God. Yeah. Okay. Um, How do you do that if you're angry? I think you don't look at the sinner who sinned against you. You look at you and the Lord, and, and you know yourself being a sinner. Because when you can identify with the sinner who sinned against you, then it's like, okay, you're like me. But when you feel a sense of like, well, I would never do that, you know, um, you owe me, you know, that's where things, things become, mm. you know, <laughs> problematic. Like we need to understand that we're all sinners yeah. and maybe that person's flavor of sin is different than yours, but on a heart level, like we've looked at the Lord and in his holiness and we've done what we knew what was wrong, mm. you know, that's, lawlessness as the bible calls it you know we're we're all sinners and and god has with great you know graciousness he's forgiven us so yeah so remember that and i think that really should be the thing that that loosens our anger and this is maybe a practical thing uh, i remember a woman who was dealing with um trying to forgive her husband after uh infidelity um she said that um She said for her forgiveness, um, all she can do is continually ask God for the ability.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, like she realized like this call to forgive is, you know, she realized that this call to forgive was outside of her strength. So all it was was a continual God help me forgive. God help me forgive. Um, So that might be something also where you realize God's, called you to do something that's outside of your strength he does that if you haven't figured it out he calls us to do things outside of our strength we talked about this at our staff meeting we were laughing about it because you know uh the five thousand people were there and the disciples were like what are we gonna do with all these people and jesus says give them something to eat yeah (laughs) you give them something to eat you know it's like what you know (laughs) and then in, in a parallel account you know uh there's all those people there and and Jesus I'm sure with a smile on his face says that I think like Philip, it's like, Philip, uh where are we gonna where are we gonna buy all these people food? you know it's like, uh Jesus, <laughs> we don't have any sort of money close to what this needs. So once more, God calls us to do things that are impossible in our own strength. So get used to that. and for you that might be forgiving someone. So ask him to work in you. Uh, what you can't do yourself, ask him to live in you and and live that forgiveness through you. So um, when it comes to now, so, so, so again, forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you and your heart with God and yeah. that willingness to let go of that debt. So, but what about the person who is not asking for forgiveness? Okay, we covered that because that's not what forgiveness is. What about the person who um, they're asking for forgiveness, but... You know, they've done this a bunch of times. Like, how genuine can they be? Well, isn't that, like, pretty much exactly addressed? Like, uh they came to Jesus and they said, well, how many times? Like, you want me to forgive my brother, but how many times? Okay? Like, seven? I mean, that I think that was kind of like an idea at the time. Like, you get seven, and then that's it, you know? And Jesus was like, uh, you know, I think depending on, like, what translation you read, Um, it's like not seven, but 77 times seven, you know, Mm. and before you start doing the math, you know, it it means like you keep forgiving. Um, and I really don't think that we can be in a place where we can judge whether or not someone is worthy of forgiveness because it really goes against the whole essence of forgiveness. Mm. Um, it's not about the person's worthiness, you know? Um, It's about that's what God did for us. With that being said, that's forgiveness. But forgiveness is not the same thing as trust and reconciliation, okay? I can forgive someone who wronged me. Like a spouse can forgive someone for infidelity. But that doesn't mean that they immediately trust them, okay? Trust, that level of reconciliation takes time. Like I forgive you, but are you going to do it again? I don't know like, I hope not, naturally, you're not going to be able to just fully be reconciled as if it never happened. And as if, you know, it's never going to happen. Like that sort of thing takes time. And so, uh, so yeah, that, but that's, again, that's not about forgiveness. That's about this process of rebuilding and trust. And, um, yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. So where does, I can already think of people maybe asking, where does justice come into this? Because sometimes you have uh, situations that happen, there's a wrong that's been done and we rush and we go, we need to forgive, we need to forgive. And then sometimes we can sidestep maybe some of the uh, consequences that need to happen as a result of the wrong being done. How do, you, how do you balance that with making sure that we're a people of grace and love and forgiveness, uh, but also a people who
1: are lovingly holding people accountable to their actions? Well, when it comes to justice, we have to figure out, are we in a place where we've been appointed to uh, give justice? Hmm. As in, like, um, you know, uh, let's say something happens in the church where there's, like, abuse or something. Like, a law has been broken. Um, You know, uh, it's not my job to execute justice, but it may very well be my job to contact the authorities that would, that, that, you know, God has ordained just, we talked about earlier in the podcast, like the the office of elders, a God ordained office, um, the state, you know, the, the government that's also God ordained. And that is a, a God ordained avenue of justice on the earth. And, we should respect that. Um, so that's something. When it comes to justice, yeah. uh, you know, look to the God-ordained authorities that to execute justice. Because, we also—sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, finish.
0: Well, we also have a pattern for that in the church, too, um, of going to the person, right, to confront the sin and yep. then bringing another witness, or is it maybe one or two others, and then bring it to the elders and—
1: yeah, but I don't know if that would be, like, about justice. When I think about justice, hmm. I think, like, who's going to repay? Who's going to pay for this? Oh, I see. You know, I think okay. that's that's really about reconciliation and forgiveness and helping, a, a, you know, a sinner turn from their ways. Right. But when it comes to, to justice, but there are situations where we might want justice, but there's no avenue for it. Perhaps someone has really deeply wronged you and there's no evidence you can prove or they didn't break a law, you know? Um, but nevertheless, there's like this desire for justice yet we're called to forgive. And, um, in these cases, like I'll often point to Romans chapter 12, um, which I believe is like a little later after talking about, you know, uh, the authorities that God's... I think earlier in chapter 12, I think, is when it talks about, you know, God's authorities with the government and such. But anyways, when you get to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19, uh, it says... I just look that up. <laughs> Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay... Um, On the contrary, you know, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So there's this idea of like we're called to forgive. And sometimes that's so hard when you really desire justice. But one of the things that enables us to forgive is we're giving it to God and saying, okay, Lord, I feel this deep pain. I feel this debt that this person did. I'm not going to hold it on to that debt anymore. As in I'm not going to demand repayment. I'm going to try to love this person, bless them. I'm going to let this go, but I'm going to give it to you, Yeah. okay? And trust that you're going to do with it what you see fit, okay? And that could mean, you know, nailing it to the cross as this person is a believer. Um, if this person isn't a believer, I mean, that that could mean something else, yeah. you know? So anyways, there's this like... Um, we're we're our desire for justice sometimes we have to leave it to the wrath of god that's what it says mm. like god i'm going to give this to you and um and i'm going to trust that you're going to deal with it but nevertheless i'm yeah. called to forgive and love that's you know? so
0: good and what what beautiful radical scandalous grace that we're called to and that's exemplified for us in the example of christ on the cross saying forgive them they know not what they do Right Like that's that's our example. Yeah. and Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me." Yep. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Uh no. No, that's it. Okay. Well, I think that's, that's all the time we have for now. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or maybe have a comment about something we talked about on this episode, please send us an email to ask at westviewmontreal.org. That's ask at westviewmontreal.org. We have yet to receive one email, so you could be the first emailer.
1: Yeah, why aren't you emailing us? Yeah, people? what's up with that? <laughs> Thanks
0: so much, friends, for listening again. Grace and peace to you. Take care. Shalom. Shalom.